welcome to another episode of Paranormal <laughs> the New Normal. I'm your host, as always, Jeremy, here trying to make the world seem a little more normal. And today we are not going to hit that market A by any means, but that's perfectly okay because, well, actually, you know what? We kind of are because we are making Paranormal the New Normal today. But we'll get to that in a minute. First things first, my guest today is John Stewart. And he has some groundbreaking information that he is going to bring us into a little bit later. But first things first, how you doing tonight, John? I'm doing well. How are you, Jeremy? Doing all right. Doing all right. Dealing with that Northeast weather, but that's normal. So I'm used it's been to that. Five, so. five, minus five, and then it's 45 degrees and rain here in Chicago. So it's, you know, what's the old saying in Chicago? If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. It, that's what they say. That's what they say in the Northeast too. But, <laughs> I've been there, yeah. But yeah, so, so yeah, we are, we we get through it. I, I will take some of those forty-five days back again. I swear to God. But isn't that the global, truth? Global warming is a real thing. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. It's, but first things first. What got you into the paranormal? First question I ask everybody in the show is that. Great, great question. Um, you know, I'm a Pisces. Um, I've always been creative. And I say that because I feel that um, my birth month, um, being a creative person um, has uh, just kind of like opened, opened my mind to anything. I, you know, I, I, my, as my mother would say when I was three or four years old, you know, little Johnny's game for anything. And I, and I was. And, uh, and um, I, I was always curious. And I think all of those combined has, um, you know, has, has had me open to any new experience. Um, I was raised a Catholic, um, thought that the Bible was, if it was real, then it was, there was, there were some really substantially crazy stories there. And I'm a Catholic altar boy, so I, I, I can speak about my, about my, my, uh, my former, uh, faith. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of more spiritual than I am Catholic. So that's what I mean. And so, um, you know, I had some really, I had a really weird moment when I was about seven years old, I saw this blue glowing mass in my parents ceiling to wall mirror. I don't know if I invented that in my mind. I, I don't, I am saying that. I don't know if my crazy imagination invented that. Um, I, I've I've had some really uh, you know just uh, some more than unusual bizarre paranormal experiences. I don't think so much more than anyone else until that uh, what I spoke to you about in our pre pre telecast about the um, or I wrote you the uh, the bed and breakfast with two other pro wrestlers where we were we encountered a poltergeist. Um, my my um, my father's Lithuanian and Polish. And his uncles and aunts and family are very um, attuned or open to paranormal. And my grandfather shares an infamous story that when his uh, second wife died, he heard a knock on the door and he opened the door and there was a moth that would not leave. And he he kept the moth in a glass like atrium for years. Uh, One of my father's best friends died who loved our summer home in the Upper Peninsula of, of Michigan. There's Wisconsin, and then there's a Michigan above Wisconsin, not only on the other side. Not a lot of people know that. So, and when he died, he loved it so much up there. But when he died, a partridge. Now, there's partridge in Upper Michigan, maybe six. But this partridge followed my father around for all day. My father comes out around the cottage grounds the next day. That partridge is there. So, you know, there's been some winged creature, you know, metamorphous type beliefs um with, with stuff like that and you know when we moved into this house that i'm in now we had some really funky experiences i would hear a clap every time i started to doze off and take a nap or go to sleep my wife felt somebody rubbing down the down the length of her spine we actually had true uh gypsies come to the house and with a mask card and, and bless it we had a priest come and that really stopped the weird incur- occurrences but about six months later, then I, I you know, in, in, in got the least the tail end of a poltergeist um, or some sort of spirit that literally bothered myself. Uh, General Adnan of the WWF 
uh, WrestleMania with Sergeant Slaughter and another uh, wrestler uh, named Dick the Bruiser Jr. So I'm convinced that they're, and, and then the, the, you know, I don't know if it would be paranormal, but, you know, the, the, you know, thinking about someone I haven't thought about in six months and they call a minute later, that has been happening for five, six years. I, I didn't even buy, I don't even worry about that anymore. So, you know, I, I've, I've, I, I, I've had a lot of experiences where I'm, I say to myself, mm, you know, maybe this, this realm is not everything we think it is. It really isn't. It isn't. I mean, my listeners will know I also live in a haunted house too. Activity's been low over the last couple of months, but it's still creepy at times. Yeah. But you just gave us a lot to break down there. So I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's cool. I like I like when guests do that because then it gives me a chance to break down each part of it as I please. But I want to start off with the pro wrestling thing because I was a I know who Sergeant Slaughter is. I was a huge WF fan in the late nineties, early two thousands. So, I mean, so you were a pro wrestler. I know. I know. I read that in your in your bio, but yeah, you could see me on YouTube. Just type in AWA Johnny Stewart. There's probably twenty matches. Um, I uh, took a football invited walk on uh, uh, offer to Memphis State because I knew Jerry Lawler and wrestling was. I heard wrestling was easier to get into. I got into it in 1986. What people don't understand is pro wrestling up until like 90, 95 was like the mafia. It was impossible to get in. You had to finagle. You had to figure out a way. You had to find a way to meet a promoter or another wrestler, then convince them your intentions. And then maybe they would train you. They try and destroy you the first couple of days of training. Anyways, so, yeah, so I started with Jerry Lawler as one of the Beach Boys in Memphis. Then I went to wrestle for Dick the Bruisers, WWA. And then my main stint, and then I was actually hired by Jim Hurd with WCW when he hired Brian Pillman, Tom Zink, and Johnny Ace, and um, Ric Flair, who was 42. And my gimmick was a spoiled rich guy of Ric Flair. Larry Zabisco called me the $5 Ric Flair. And so when... Um, uh, when Ric Flair got a wind of this and he says it himself, he was so insecure and paranoid because I couldn't hold a fl- candle to Ric Flair, especially back then when I had two years of experience and he had 25 years. And he said, look, if you need a rip off Ric Flair get character to hire him, you certainly don't need me. So pick one. And so they obviously pick, stayed with Ric Flair working for them. Obviously, I don't say that story to rub up against Rick, but it is a true story told by Jim Cornette and Paul Heyman and Jim Barnett. But anyway, so then I went to go wrestle for Vern Gagne for two years on ESPN. And that was the mainstay of my wrestling career. Um, I went to work for WCW, filled in a bunch of times on the road. In 1990, you know, a big feather in my cap, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. uh, You know, out of this massive business back in 90, I was the busiest wrestler in the month of May of 90. That's pretty, pretty remarkable when you talk about Hogan and all those guys that were on the road doing two shows on Saturday, two shows on Sunday. So that, you know, that is one of the feathers of my cap. And then I started to promote, I revamped the AWA with a guy named Dale Gagner. And we did that for 10 years all over the country, uh, outdrew WCW and ECW at times. So I, I, you know, for a guy that just wanted to touch the ring, um, I had 20 years in wrestling. I, you know, wrestled on the ESPN main event eight times, uh, the light heavyweight championship of the world against Buck Zumoff. Um, on the ESPN main event. So, you know, I didn't make a million dollars, but I certainly by surpassed my goals of what I wanted to get out of wrestling. Oh, it sounds like it. I mean, you definitely just, you, you weren't, you weren't just, you weren't no jobber. That's for sure. Oh, I was not a jobber. No, no. <laughs> Cause it's funny. I've been, I've been revisiting that era of wrestling a lot lately by watching uh young rock. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. The different stuff they do in those, like the difference that they did back then compared to yeah. what they did nowadays. Yeah. Rick Flair, Rick Flair uh, just was on a podcast and said that he really thinks the jobber matches should come back because it solely highlights the, the star. And um, I kind of agree with that. I think there's way too much wrestling on TV, but, but now it's a TV product. And I predicted yeah. this in 88. I looked at my tag team partner. His name was Sonny Rogers. People remember him from the AWA. And in the WWF as enhancement talent. But with me, we had a great stint as the Beach Boys with Windy City Wrestling and WWA. But um, I said, Sonny, this is going to be a TV product. It's just, it's, it's, 
you know, the, the, the crowds, Eric Bischoff in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the Monday night wars had yeah. a little reboot, which was great for live attendance, but now it's a TV product. So does it really matter what you put on TV? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's how many times can you see Randy Orton against, you know, uh, you know, another guy, I mean, it's, it's, it's on and on and on. And, yeah, but, uh, I mean, the fa- I, I don't really watch it anymore because I don't like, either. <laughs> like, like, like you said, there's just back at the point in the early 2010s when WWE decided to do th- a third show a week when they already were doing crazy. Uh, three, th- like, three, they were doing like four or five hours a, t- a week on TV, and then they had another right. two hour, another hour, two hour show. I'm like, right, I can't, I can't keep up with this anymore. I'm like, it's right. too much. I have you no could, time to watch anything else. Yeah, you can remember back in the 80s and 90s, you know. In the 80s, it was an hour on TV. You waited at the end of the NWA show because that's when they would have Hulk Hogan's interview. So you waited an entire hour to hear Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, and Hulk Hogan. And you were thirsty to go to the to the arena six weeks later to see a live show because you barely saw Hulk Hogan wrestle for AWA. You saw a bunch of jobber matches. And, and it made you hungry to go see it. And I don't understand what the, you know, um, if, if here's my point, and I think I'm going to make a good point here. If what Vince and Eric Bischoff and AEW tell you and Paul Heyman, and I know this for myself, that TV is a money loser and TV is the reason why pro wrestling, how it managed to bring people in for live attendance. What are you on TV for? So you're doing TV for pay-per-view uh, buys. Is that working? Other than WrestleMania, I don't know. Maybe it is. No, it, it, it it's not. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's not working though because of the fact that um, now all the all WWE at least all their reviews are on Peacock. So you're not making 30, 50 bucks per person anymore to watch it. You're they said to have a Peacock subscription, which is like folks, less than ten. Folks, listen less. to this guy. <laughs> I, I really am. I've only been in business for thirty five years. I, I I don't know what I'm. T- I, I mean, I I. I, I don't I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. But again, um, I, if, if TV is a loser, well, then where are you making you're making money at pay-per-view and, and merchandise? Well, that's yeah. great. But correct me if I'm wrong. I've only been in the wrestling business since 1986. Isn't most of most of your merchandise sales done at the what's called an arena? Not not any, not, <laughs> any, anymore. not, not anymore. Now, I don't now know. I don't know the negative part. Again, I, I I guess that's why I'm not in wrestling. I don't know the negative part of getting 10,000 people in an arena, drinking beer, pop, hot dogs, selling, you know, $30 t-shirts and foam fingers and posters and paying $40 to get in. I mean, what, 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 what am I, I mean, well, we don't have a live, it's not, Bruce Pritchard told me one time, well, we're, you know, we're not drawing in the live arenas. Cause you're giving away three hours a week. I, at yeah. some point you got to rip the bandaid off and say, look, wait a minute. If we're not, TV's not a moneymaker. Let's make it a moneymaker as far as what is the, what is the byproduct of it? Live attendance. I, I, I don't know, but if you're doing 12 pay-per-views a year, I, they're making money. The investors are now it's on the stock market. And for anybody that doesn't know when you're a C, an executive in a publicly traded company, all your life is about stock price. So it, it doesn't matter anymore, but it, it doesn't make sense to me to some degree. So, I mean, the only thing I will say is I've seen the changes that uh, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Emsley is making yeah. since, since he, or Paul, I guess if you want to go by real names here, but um, that he's making since he took over WWE. So, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be better maybe than it's been. Because Vince was kind of losing his edge in the later years. Absolutely, yeah. Paul, Paul will do a good job, and uh, I think it's refreshing. You have a pro wrestler on who doesn't call all the wrestlers pieces of shit. Like, <laughs> I like everybody. So, but yeah. um, but no, uh, yeah. Paul Triple H will do a great job. I think uh, you know. I saw a, a one minute commercial for AEW. I mean, they look they look great. You know, so they, it is. They, it, it is the stars they get. The stars they get are all old WCW yeah. and WWE yeah, stars. The reach rides. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, some of the ones I got were my favorites back in the day. So I'm like, ah, part of me wants to watch it, but part of me's like, I'm not getting dragged back into that world. I can't. Yeah. 
Right. It's, I have too much going on between life and podcasting and everything else. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's tw- asking wrestling fans to, to donate four hours, five hours a week, um, and, and and then you're giving it away for free. I I don't know. Sorry, folks. Yeah. But I, I do want to point out that one of our viewers, Josh Dickinson, uh, saw you years ago at the West Chester, Westchester County Center. Oh, nice. T- said hello. <laughs> and. And he did make a good point, though, it, where that it's kind of like how internet killed the porn star, like TV killed the wrestler, like kind, kind of a, a good comparison there in a way. Could not could not agree. I, I I just there was something, and I'm not being Jim Cornette and melodramatic. There was such a magic, um, a magic, uh, overshadow of pro wrestling from the '40s. To the to the mid '80s and ni- or '90s, you couldn't get near the ring. You couldn't touch the ring. You couldn't see talk to the wrestlers. You didn't know where they lived. There was no internet. There, there was a magic quality. They weren't out signing autographs before the matches. When you saw them for 15 minutes, that's the only time you saw them in person. God forbid if you should see them at a convenience store or at a hotel or in the airport. It was like seeing your idol. You know, it was like seeing a cartoon figure and you've kind of taken that away with TV and, and, you know, it is what, you know, it is what it is. I, you know, all I can say is that, especially in the beginning of my career and especially in Memphis, uh, Memphis territory, you know, I did it. I performed when people thought it was what I was doing was real. And, and Jim Cornette, they, everyone laughs at him for waxing on and on and on about the wrestling business. But if you weren't there, when you when people believed it was real, and you know there was nine thousand people screaming at the Mid South Coliseum, if you weren't there to witness that, you know, it's hard to get rid of that. You know, it's hard to get rid of that feeling. You know, of 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 doing something, being a gladiator, knowing you're probably not going to get hurt, but that people believe in what you're doing and they want to kill you. And I was always a bad guy, so you know, people wanting me dead or injured or maimed and me egging them on and. You know, that feeling, um, Jim Cornette's right. You, I can't describe it. Um, and it's and it's and it's hard to shake. I cannot walk down. The greatest thing about the movie, The Wrestler, or the one that, that resonates with me, is when he was walking down the hallway in the in the grocery store, and in his mind, he was under the bowels of an arena. And I my wife laughs at me. I cannot walk down any kind of hallway without, you know, doing the Hogan, you know, shoulder strap, you know, slap or, you know, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm not even trying to be funny or you make my wife laugh. I mean, I, it's, it is so conditioned from being 18 all the way to, you know, my last match when I was 40, it, it's so ingrained. I, I, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's ingrained because it was something special and, 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 and I'm proud of that. And, uh, and uh, and I, I wish people could have experienced that. It's probably something similar to being in, at a WrestleMania live, that energy, you know. So I'm not saying it's totally lost forever, but um, I was very lucky to experience it. Yeah, it, I mean, at one point in my life, I had aspirations to do that, but just I was, I mean, I would have been the next big show or Mark Henry, but I mean, it just wouldn't have been. Well, you got the voice. You got the yeah. raspy voice. Oh, I mean, uh, 15 years of smoking will do that to you, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just scary. I mean, and it, it's funny because, uh, it's funny you mentioned Rick Flair. Cause I mean, he's been getting a lot of hate lately with all the stuff dropping about him and the whole airplane incident. Yeah. But it's, it's you know, sad, when, I, when I, I met Jerry, I look again, I love Rick just because, um, Anybody that's ever had a bad vacation, the plane's delayed, your rental car's not there, the hotel stinks or smells, or we did that every day. And Ric Flair really did that every day for 40 years. He is a god for putting up with that, truly. I, I mean that sincerely. But, you know, Rick is Rick. You know, the first time I met my mother-in-law, she, you know, she said, oh, jo- you know, Joanne, my wife says you're a wrestler. And Ric Flair was at our hotel last week. He showed me his penis in the, in the hallway. <laughs> Like, uh, well, that's not going to happen, mom. But, uh, you know, so am I saying Rick did what he did on the airline? I wasn't there at all. But would I be surprised or shocked? Absolutely not. No. He was infamous for whipping out his, you know, you know, his dingling and showing it to people. And, you know, 
Did he possibly grab the Who knows? You know, I, 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 if he did, it's wrong. I feel bad for the woman and, and he should be admonished. But, you know, when you're, when you're, society made Ric Flair not live by any rules. We created him. So yes, you, not saying yep. it's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just helping people wrap their mind around how could a 50 year old man be drunk and grab a stewardess's hand and put it on his naked penis. And I mean, you created I'm a, him. I'm, exactly. I mean, we, the, the, the world created him, they created Hulk Hogan and everything that came after it. So, I mean, they made these people who they are by, love them right. so much or hate or hate them so much depending on what exactly. they're playing exactly moment. but you know in my in my minor fleeting fame of wrestling or playing high school college semi-pro football player you know the rules were just kind of different for guys like me and um it, you know you have to get to a maturity level and realize well this isn't going to work i just can't do whatever i want to do in the business world and i can't rough up or you know talk you know, harshly to people in the business world, I have got to change this MO that I grew up with. Um, and again, I'm just letting people their mind around how could, you know, how could Chris Adams super kick a flight attendant on a plane, which happens, you know, because, you know, Chris Adams lives, he's a wrestler, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's one of the unfortunate byproducts of our, of our business or being a pro athlete or someone that is idolized by society and stuff. And, not saying yeah. it's right. It's just the, a byproduct. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, plus, I mean, you're Ric Flair. You're going to do what the hell you want. You're fucking Ric Flair. Oh, <laughs> Nature boy himself. I mean, but it's actually funny because we used to go to live shows all the time in the early 2000s because we had these two guys that worked for WF, the Daw Brothers, Dave, and I wish we the other guy's name. They came into my father's search rental car location all the time to pick up a rental car to go down to the city. To set up, they were they were set up guys. They would set up the sure. ring and everything else. So they used to always give us tickets every time they came through town. Right. And I was at one of the last shows I went to was the one where Hulk Hogan came back in like oh two oh three. Because like no one was expecting it, and then right. and it, it was a packed arena. And as soon as his music started playing over the freaking speakers, it was just like everybody was just like no. Yeah. No, it can't be. It can't be. Like, it was one of the biggest moments in wrestling. Yeah, Hulk Hogan changed my life. I, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, when I was in high school and I saw Hulk Hogan live, I'm, I mean, my skin vibrated. No, I, I'm not even joking. Like, yeah. the guy changed my physio physiology. I'm like, this, this is – it was incredible to see people so enamored with someone, including me, and the sweat in his body and the blood here, he was everything that you'd want in a pro wrestler. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it, it's, it's, you, you, if, you're, if you're there to experience something like that, it, it, it changes your life. I'm sure. I mean, and yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing show. But and I think actually, I think it was setting up for him versus Rock at uh, whatever WrestleMania. Whatever WrestleMania oh, that right, was. I, for, right. I forget which eight. one that was. No, no, eighteen. I don't know. Eighteen. I think it was eighteen. I think you're yeah, right. I always yeah. remember an eight with that match because that, that was great. I love that he stole the show. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's great. But I will say, yeah. well, that wasn't. And I, I mean, I wasn't going to do this episode with you without getting into wrestling for at least 10, 15 minutes. I knew it. I knew it was going to happen. Oh, okay. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. But um. Yeah. So, let's jump back into your groundbreaking. Uh, to get, uh, yeah, let's get back to you uh, and your groundbreaking, what you found out back in the late '90s. I don't want to yeah, whatever um, you say it, but you know, I know we've had a good time for twenty-four minutes, but um, and by no means is this a doom and gloom. Uh, what I experienced or what I investigated, um, and I, I want to make that very clear. Um, it, it is extremely serious, uh, and I risk my life. I still think I am to this to, to some degree. And I, um, um, let me just give the thesis. I purported to break in to the most top secret government facility ever devised by man and attempted to break into this facility 20 years in the past where 90% of the people at this event are are dead or you know octogenarians or or you know over the age of 70 years of age 
And so and all the way, all the while by doing that and also remodeling the kitchen and buying a black lab. And I say that in tongue in cheek, but it's true. And um, very, very briefly, because I don't know how much time we have. Um, 1997, I'm living the life. I'm wrestling part-time. I'm living in a condo in downtown Chicago. I got a black Porsche. Uh, I got a boat on Lake Michigan. I am living the life. I'm a car dealer. And I see this documentary coming on about a year after the alien autopsy, which you can have your opinion about the alien autopsy, whatever. And it's called the 1997 Area 51 Alien Interview. I mean, I, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the drawer. I'm thinking alien interview, like a weird looking human is going to have a clipboard for a job interview at the Pentagon. I'm down <laughs> sitting at my couch in 1997 and I see this non-CGI darkened room, a gray alien, but it's not gray. It doesn't have all the dyes. It's got a physiological monitor next to it that doesn't go up and that's not going across. It's just staying put. Medics come in. I see the mouth of this puppet go open and close, open and close. His eyes are changed. The, the sockets here are changing shape. The medics come in and they're dressed in scrubs, not biohazard suits like they've been with this creature for years and years and they know it's not in danger to them. And then there was the whistleblower, Victor, who still to this day is probably the smartest person I've ever heard speak. I'm going to repeat that. He was the smartest person I have ever heard speak. And I probably encountered 10,000 people in my 56 years of life. And this, this really, really bothered me because it struck me as this, this, this does not have the hallmarks of a hoax. Take it from the guy who's a trained con artist, right? Which is a pro wrestler. I'm like, this does not have the hallmarks of a of a, of a hoax. It's too non-produced. It's too chalant. It's one take. What the frick is that physiological monitor? And on the bottom of the screen is emblazoned digital overlay graphic, DNI slash 27. It's 1999. I'm running for Congress. I bow out and endorse. Mark Kirk, which became the congressman and our and a senator. He's now retired. John McCain comes into the district to do a bus tour with him. And since I dropped out and endorsed him, I'm on the bus tour. I'm the, the third man in the Musketeers helping Mark Kirk get elected. We come up, John McCain comes off stage on one of the stops, and there's a little low, and I and I want people to listen to me here because you know we're we're going in the deep dive. And I said, uh, Senator, my dad was a ground crew at Corpus Christi. He's like, oh, I, I had my jet pilot training at Pensacola. I'm like, oh, he goes, he goes, what did your dad work on? I'm like, F9s. He's like, oh, I love the, I love F, I wish I would have flown F9s. I said, Senator, before we get on the bus, can you answer me a question? He's like, sure. He's real happy, jovial. I said, what is the Department of Naval Intelligence? Jeremy, he turned demon-like. His eyes went like black. And he looked at me, he said, you don't need to know anything about that. And he snapped his head and went onto the bus and kind of avoided me the rest of the night. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute here, because Victor says the DNI was the Department of Navy Intelligence. And people could see this on YouTube. Nothing's hidden. It's the 1997 Victor area alien interview from 1997 with Victor, not the shitty CGIs that you've seen. When you see this one, after seeing the CGIs, you're going to be like, what, what the what is this? This is like, like real. And so I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me a strip mall video production company who made, who said Victor approached them with this video. Let's say they hoaxed this. They put on an, an acronym that just pissed off a United States Senator. There is no Department of Naval Intelligence. Well, we ended up proving that there, there was, by the way. Cool. And Jeremy, you know, again, I'm talking to somebody that understands paranormal. It's 2017. I'm running for governor of Illinois for the Libertarian Party. And I'm in my car in the driveway. I got home super early for some reason. No one was home. And I'm I'm like, and, and this video bothered me all day for whatever reason. And I said, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to figure out something about that video. Prove that it's a hoax. Prove that it's real and then move on. And investigating it. And I sat there for four hours to try and figure out this physiological monitor. And I found three guys that did a thesis on physiological monitors, professors, sent them the video. They were like, we, what, 
the blip goes like this. It doesn't go across. What, what, it looks like it's just a pane of glass. We don't know what that is. The, the experts in physiological monitors, I call Hewlett Packard and Space Labs. They were the experts in physiological monitors when this video was supposedly shot, which was 1990, 91. Sent them both, talked to 60, 65-year-old crusty, crabby engineers in their mon physiological monitoring departments. Got these old experienced guys on the phone. No one knew what that was to the point of, I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you sent me. We've never made it. It's still not manufactured, and I do not know what that is. These are Hewlett Packard and Space Labs. One of the guys said, it might be a one-off. I said, whoa, 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 what is a one-off? He said, well, if you have a, an unusual situation and there's no type of equipment to help you with this situation, you would design and manufacture a one of something to help you with your problem. I said, would you design a one-of weird physiological monitor to monitor an alien's heart if you knew that it only had one ventricle? And instead of hanging up or laughing at me, he went, yeah, I would definitely do that. Definitely invent that. I'm like, I grabbed the receiver. I'm like, holy shit, that worked. I'm like, I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. 25 years, this video has never been debunked by anyone with any credibility, meaning Hollywood. No one's ever come forward. I was the producer. I did craft catering. Um, I, I did the uniforms. I worked on the B-roll. They, they did a mock-up alien interview. I worked on that. I did the accounting. Um, there's two guys in the foreground of this video that you just see the silhouette. I was one of those guys. Um, no one, no one of any credibility. Jim Delatoso, you know, says, look, I, you know, I can't explain this. Um, there were FX people that said, oh, you could have done that for $150,000 with the minimal eye movement and round. We come to find out that the video production company was, they were selling the Tim Conway, you know, uh, dwarf golf video guy. I mean, and UPN, it was on UPN with Reichster Entertainment and Reichster Entertainment, we found out, couldn't pay their employees for the first four, four episodes of this big program called Strange Universe, which is where, where this video premiered. So no money, strip ball video company, creating a physiological monitor that's still not into production today, a pissed off senator. Why would you put the the letters of DNI on a, on a, a video that you're trying to not seem like it's a hoax that don't exist? Aren't you... Aren't you lending the credibility that it is a hoax when people can't research what DNI is? You and I, Jeremy, would have put CIA emblem or, you know, this is the Pentagon or, you know, Department of Navy or something like that. Not the Department of Naval Intelligence in this weird 27. Yeah. And so, I, you know, just moving forward, because I am under contract, so I can't name names. I said to myself, how in the hell am I going to break in to a facility that's 25 years in the past? Everyone, 90% of the people are dead. How am I going to find Victor? How am I going to find anyone that can lead me to any evidence that this film is real or fake? And I want people to understand. I want to wanted to just find out the truth. And I figured it's called a bird dogging. So I went on podcasts, the uh, Project Camelot with, with Carrie Cassidy. The Jeff Runt Show, which is one of the biggest internet radio shows out there, and Caravan to Midnight with Midnight with John B. Wells, which is I knew a lot of military people. I heard this in the wind. Listened to that show, and I went on these shows, talked about my investigation and my interest, interest, begging people to help me. And sure enough, two weeks after my appearance on the John B. Wells Caravan to Midnight, I get the email of the email, you know. I'm not going to tell you where I work. I know all about that film. I'm like, oh, you know all about that film. He said, but I'm just not going to give you the information. I, I want to, you know, how like pro wrestling, I want to test you out to see, you know, if you're just doing this for your own interest or are you serious about it? He sent me a couple of whimsical clues that I figured out right away. I kept, e I kept emailing back for a year. Think about this. Kept this up for a year. And on my birthday, hmm little suspicious folks I, you know you're hearing this for the first time live on my birthday this guy says that he works for the dni 
the DIA, Department of uh, Defense Intelligence Agency, which is the agency that runs this alien interrogation and retention program. And, and, and Jeremy, he sent me a verbatim report from the DIA computer of the six men who were behind that partition glass, uh, the two telepaths, because it was a thought projection interview, what the details of the questions were, who the DNI was, why they were they inserted their questions, because I guess there was a bunch of agencies lined up to talk to this this creature. I look at the names he sends me, military men, of course, and I'm thinking this is a hoax. I look at this guy, I Google him. He says he was a captain. This guy's an admiral, and I'm not going to go any further. My buddy goes, dummy, he's giving you a report from 1991. He's taught, he's giving you the ranks in 91. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot. It's, it's true. Um, okay. Then I really started to get worried. Like it was weird. It was like pornography. Like I was looking at these names. I'm like, well, what did these men do wrong? They were just kept the secret of this interview. And um, I'll, I'll go further. I talked to one of the, the two medics go on top of the creature to help them because it has a respiratory issue. It starts coughing before the tape runs out. Do you know that one of the, the medical medics that were touching the creature, I look up, he was with the VA in 1991. Do you know what he specialized in? Pulmonology, lungs, breathing. And I'm thinking, how? And no one knows this guy's name. I don't know this guy's name. Still practicing medicine. Let me, let me repeat this. In the video where the two medics come in for this alien, the one guy is still practicing medicine. He won't return my phone calls anymore because I try to make an appointment with him about a lung issue. Another doctor that was there touching the alien is dead. Died in California. Talked to his widow, his second wife, his widow. I said, blah, blah, blah. Can, what can you tell me? She's like, well, it's funny. She's like, he never talked about his time in the army. And I won't say, well, I guess, okay. He was in the army medical corps. And I said, and I'm not going to say her name. I said, don't you find that weird? Most men that played sports or did something magnanimous like the, the this armed services, other than Vietnam or horrific battles of World War II and stuff, they all talk about it. They, guys and women love talking about war stories. She's like, John, he never talked about his time in the Army Medical Corps. And I said, well, I'm going to send you the video because I think I know why your, your husband, the doctor, I won't say his name, why he never talked about his experience in the Army Medical Corps. She called me back. She was flabbergasted. She fell, she almost fell off, fell off the chair. She's like, that's my husband to the right. I'm like, that's your husband to the right. She's like, well, now it explains it. Um, what other weirdness can I tell you? Another person that was there was retired. I'm like, what? Fake hoax. This guy's retired. He wasn't even in the military. What was he? He worked for TRW. Now I'm in the automobile business. That's the credit bureau reporting agency. However, TRW also did mapping and contour assistance for the government. And we know that they were trying to find a submerged object in the Indian Ocean. This is what they were asking this, this, uh, this alien creature. Um, and I, when, I, when I read that, I about fell off, fell off. And he's got a very famous father from World War II, which when the documentary comes out, I, we will obviously explain. So, Jeremy, I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, John McCain. Uh, I'm getting a whole report. Um, uh, I'm getting the right date. I learned that Victor died, blah, blah, you know, not Victor died. I learned that, um, you know, that their the, the ranks back in 1990, I know that the date was wrong. You know, Victor was trying to not tell, trying to get distance between him and this videotape. So he did lie about the date and the facility. And um, this is going on and on, and I'm getting leaks and tidbits from people. Um Oh, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's a blur. It's, it, it comes so fast and a blur in my mind. Now, Scott Walter from America and Earth, he's a geologist. He has got a military intelligence insider that is currently working for an alphabet agency. And this guy wants to come forward in some way to disclose some of this alien information. There is a, I can tell you this right now in your fan base. There is a civil war going on 
in the military industrial complex of people that want disclosure and people that do not want disclosure. And there is a civil war of we're going to, you know, these these people are going to help let people like me get information. These people are trying to stop it. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting that there are people in the government that want us to at least learn some of what's going on. This program is under what is called Project Aquarius, which is the overall study of, of extraterrestrials. And this program, this film, which is blacklisted by the military, the current ins military insider said that this, this that film is blacklisted, meaning no one can speak about it. It never happened. It doesn't exist. Because if the military talks about it, then it becomes real. If they prosecuted Victor for leaking this footage, then why would you prosecute somebody leaking fake footage and a fake puppet? Does that, if that makes sense. And oh, um, yeah, um, we, I have been given the new military designation of extraterrestrials. I can't say it. I hate when people do this on the internet, like I'm doing now, believe me, I want to strangle my neck. There is a new designation for extraterrestrials that I will release in this documentary. Two people have this designation, two civilians from what I've been, I've been told. And uh, the other interesting thing he said, sometimes the government, when they want to leak something, they will recreate it. Not that, that that's what this is, but that was something very interesting that this, he called himself Holden. And I was also helped, Jeremy, by a, a group that's no longer in existence called the Avery. This was a para-government group in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, uh, made up of scientists, ex-military, intelligence insiders. They would meet once a year to discuss and disseminate, and they all had bird names, woodpecker, condor, falcon. And that's how, uh, and one of them said, you know, you, you roused all of us. You got us off our perch. We're helping you. You're the bird dog. And, uh, and I always, and I'm like, oh, I felt like George Costanza. I've got a code name. I told my <laughs> wife, honey, I've got a code name. I'm the bird dog. But, you know, and there's been some funny things. I, one funny story I can tell people real quickly, because this, it's changed my life, you know, um, of who I am, my overall composure. It's, it's changed my life for the better. I do not have this doom and gloom scenario that most people have. But I called, I was calling a facility to try and get a hold of one of these whistleblowers. And, the, and I would always get a voicemail, get hung up on, nobody would answer. For the first time, the lady, somebody said, may I ask who's calling? <laughs> and I panicked. On my God's honor, on my honor, I panicked. And I said, um, Art Vandelay, you know, from the Seinfeld show. <laughs> she never caught on. And I, I told my wife, I said, oh, my God, I just used Art Vandelay. And the woman didn't catch on that, you know, that's from the Seinfeld show and stuff. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and, and so there's. 27, I'm going to leave this tidbit. The last, it says DNI in the bottom of the screen slash 27. I see a presidential briefing for Ronald Reagan in 1981. And on top of, about extraterrestrials, it's fascinating. You need to go see it on Google. There's 27 at the very top of the page. I called a man by the name of Richard Doty. He was an Air Force Special Officer um, of Investigation and Counterintelligence. Um, and I used him as like my go-to guy, like, what is this? What does this mean? Very helpful. I said, Rick, what does 27 mean? And, and this is when I, I almost fainted. He said, well, 27 is Yankee white. I, again, think of a strip mall video company hosting this video. I said, what is Yankee white? He said, Yankee white is basically an overall umbrella terminology for anyone. Now, listen to me, folks. Anyone that briefs or communicates with the vice president or the president of the United States. Okay. So the reason why 27 is on there is because one of the military people we know for a fact has did back in the nine, early 90s brief the president of the United States, George Bush. Yeah, and Bush. we are working on the bombshell of the bombshells that the other person, one of the other people in the room, the medic accidentally shined the light towards the viewing gallery, the glass partition, and a military person shied away like this. And I am telling you, and you could probably guess who this is, but we are spending $1,400 to have this lightened, the picture lightened, but we can see the lips, the shine of the nose and the forehead. 
and we are almost 75% sure. I mean, this is going to make people in America fall off their chair that it is a beloved member of the government from the early 90s. Now, there wasn't many beloved members of the government that were people would know by name and face in the 90s. And if we prove this, um, this takes this investigation into the, in, into the stratosphere. But the bottom line is this, and I'm not saying this because I wanted this to be the conclusion. I wanted to know the truth. But the bottom line is, folks, is the United States government has had an extraterrestrial retention and interrogation program from the early 50s. It's continued to this day. It's a fact. I have proven every bit. I hired even an animatronic person named Bill Mums. National Geographic had him study the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot film. He said there is no crease in the armpit of this creature because light does shine on its chest. He said you can't do that with foam and latex. There's always got to be a, a crease because the, the arm eventually has to come down in the drying process. He said, I can't tell you conclusively. He goes, but that is not a foam animatronic doll. It isn't because of the no crease in the arm. So you are looking at, for the first time, uh, an extraterrestrial creature. And this is called the other gray. He is an Eben. He is a haploid. He is not gray. He's terracotta bone, bone uh, brown, so to speak, with round eyes. He did die shortly after that in 1991. And this video in our entire, our entire seven-year investigation uh, will come out next year, hopefully, in a documentary. And I'm not here... To, to be an interloper, to call out the government. I like to think that I'm just trying to help the government um, come out of the closet to the alien to the alien presence on this planet and their knowledge of it. And I will lastly say, and thank you for letting me share my journey, that the United States government has told you that there are objects in the sky that are not built by China, the United States, or anyone else. They have told you that these objects are not built by anyone on the planet Earth. I am simply bringing you one of the pilots. Simple as that. And although this might feel uncomfortable, people might want to, you know, oh, we're going to rip his investigation apart. I mean, folks, I've talked to the, the widows. I've talked to the people that were in the room. I know the disposition of Victor. I talked to his ex-girlfriend. Victor, the most infamous whistleblower in all of, forget Snowden. Victor's the man. And I found out who he was, where he lived, um, his disposition. I talked to his ex-girlfriend. Um, I talked to the director of the original production. This video is 100% authentic. And, and we did it. My team did it. We proved every bit of it in a journalistic integrity. And I'm proud of it. And I just want people to not scrutinize it so much as to this is real. What do I do with this knowledge now in my life going forward? And to some degree, let the government off the hook. Now, oh, he must be an insider. I'm not an insider. But can you imagine holding on to the secret all your adult life, going home to golf games, birthday parties, marriages, when you know this secret you're living with and you're investigating or you're in interacting in this program as a military person or a government contractor. I don't think anybody wished that when they were a little kid. So, um, you know, I think these people are heroes that did this, that are doing this. You need to let them off the hook a little bit, compromise and, and come together and say, Hey, John Stewart and his team, they proved this video. What do we do with the information now? Wow. I a mouthful. That, that, all that is a mouthful and it is totally mind blowing. Thank you, Josh, for sharing this out. This definitely needs to be shared out. Yeah. I, I'm I, asking, I, yeah, Jeremy, I'm asking all of your viewers and listeners, look, I am not, I'm not on social media. I need everyone's help to, to make things go viral, to share this. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying, I want people to, to find me a, a decent person, a guy that was just a truth seeker. I'm not sticking my thumb in, the, in my nose and I found out and you didn't. I, 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 I investigated this. I took a lot of my time, but I need your listeners and viewers to help me get this out, to share this with people, to get me on other podcasts. So this starts, this starts spreading and this becomes, you know, um, a matter of fact in our, in our lives. I, yeah. This needs to be shared to people. 
And I'm actually really happy you brought in the Patterson Gimlin film too. That's awesome that you actually had him look at that. I mean, I never thought it was fake personally because I've heard before like the way it was walking. There was no sit. There was no technology to make a suit like that back then. It's yeah, well, I, we hired the guy that National Geographic hired. As a journalist and investigator, I can't get any more. You know, who I can't get any more than he said, John. From my threshold investigation, I can tell you, I can't say it's real, but I can't tell you this: the crease. There is no crease in the in the in the bean's arm. It can't couldn't couldn't have been done with latex or foam. A strip mall video production company, really? I don't know. Yeah, and then you get all the I names mean, of the military people. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's um, it, it was it was bizarre to see these names. Um, I shared this whole investigation with names with Linda Moulton Howell. I think everyone knows her. She's a journalist, a famous godmother of ufology. And she said, John, you know what's remarkable about your investigation? I've never heard of one of these people ever. She goes, always in some UFO investigation, a name gets recycled. She's like, I've never heard of Victor's real name or any of these men behind the viewing glass. I've never heard of any of these names. You do not realize the rarity of that in your investigation, too. So um, this and again, I stopped my Jeremy. Lastly, I'll shut my mouth. I stopped my investigation because no one else. I, I couldn't find anybody else to say it's fake or anyone, anyone in Hollywood. You mean to tell me in 25 years, the guy that created the creature wasn't at a pool party trying to get laid by some girl and saying, you know, I created the alien from, you know, that video or I, you know, I, I, I did the lighting or, I mean, Hollywood is full of braggarts. Not one person in 25 years of credibility has come forward in the public military contractor or Hollywood to say, this is fake. And I worked on it. That is, is, is when you think about the alien autopsy, which was debunked months after it was out this 25 years later. And I had to stop my investigation because everybody I asked about said, Oh, it's real. No, that, that one's real. No, that's, you know, so I, I stopped my investigation. I, I gave up of trying to see if someone could say it with credibility that was fake. So it, it was amazing. It was a journey of a lifetime. And I mean, the only thing I will say is the only thing that could have made that all better is if when you, when you used Art Vandalay, you should have said you're a marine biologist. But you know, you know, I want to yell at one of my, you know, I always wanted to be an, arch, uh, 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 an architect. You know, if you can't laugh at some of this stuff, I mean, that you know, people get mad at me like, well, this is a serious topic. You're right. And I risk my life. You didn't risk your life. I risk my life. And I have the text saying your life is in danger. So, but, you know, I, I mean, I had to inject some humor into this. I mean, you know, it's it can't all yeah. be, you know, life and death and cloak and dagger. Exactly. Which. At the the group you mentioned that had all the bird names, I wonder if that's kind of like where the inspiration for the uh, sinister group on X Files came from. I don't know. That's that's. I, I'm going to look that up. But they were, you know, it it it, it when you read about it, and and uh, Kit Green, Hal put Doctor Hal put off. Um, Rick Doty was one of them, and it wasn't all sunshines and clouds. And they didn't they didn't help. They didn't tell me things. They like Dr. Hal Putoff would say in an email. Well, that's interesting. Huh. That's something you should further research. I don't know that name. Try this number. Um, here's an email you can try. Not putting me and giving me the information, but putting me on the scent. Um, yeah. And I called uh, John Alexander, who's a colonel. You look him up on the internet, and he's done a lot of interviews and stuff i mean he just spanked me verbally i mean just you're this isn't this is crazy this you know and john alex colonel if you were ever watching this i apologize i know i came off like a goof and i'm sorry i caught him at a wrong day but i'm 56 years old being hollered at by uh by a guy on the phone it was a little you know like i said it wasn't all sunshine and and, and pink elephants and and fluffy clouds it was a lot of hard work and hundreds of emails and and um, and my sincerity came through, and, and finally somebody from a military agency came in and and gave me the whole story. It was incredible. It was the thrill of a lifetime to find out, find Victor's name, and find all the people that were in that viewing gallery, and that that this thing was real. I mean, wow! I feel like I just got 
this may be the most groundbreaking episode I ever released. I actually. Oh, I told so, you. I, I wrote you the thing. Are you Are you sure you're ready for this? <laughs> oh, I'm. Uh, they ain't gonna. Ain't no one gonna. I ain't, I ain't worried about nothing. <laughs> but I mean, it's funny too because I always. It's funny that with the Paris and Gimlin, I always say, I'm like, with COVID, they announced UFOs. I'm like, what's the next pandemic gonna be? Bigfoot. That's right. Right. You know. <laughs> you know. Uh, um. Uh. Uh. I have COVID brain and pro wrestling brain. Uh, 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 Von Braun, Werner Von Braun, said to a secretary on his deathbed, the next enemy is going to be after communism is terrorism, and the next thing after terrorism is fake alien invasion. Why would he say that? And it certainly seems like someone is setting us up for something. You know, There's something else I want to say about these five whistleblowers, which they all shied away from a topic, but... I'm reluctant to, but um, uh, but it just seems like either that that there's other civilizations that are watching us. Like, oh shit, the kids have the matches. You know, they figured out nuclear f- fusion. We really need to monitor this. Um, yeah. I, I kind of think that scenario is true and believable. And so much of the of the of, of things in the Bible, if you just replaced angels with alien, it all kind of really makes sense. I mean, why? And I'm not getting off on a tangent. Why do we believe the Virgin Mary and uh, pregnancy and birth from a person from 2,500 years ago? But then when somebody, an executive, who says, "Look, I was visited by something. My gynecologist said I was impregnated. I lost the baby." Why do we laugh at her, but believe some uh, a, a a person writing something twenty five years, hundred years ago? I I never could reconcile no, that with people. If you believe in the Bible, which are, are pretty incredible stories, I'm not cutting it down. I Catholic altar boy, you gotta believe that you know extraterrestrials. I mean, folks, we can't thin out traffic at a Dodgers game. Let's hope we're not the only people in the universe. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Seriously, I mean, I mean, I, I personally believe, and it's funny because Marvel Comics actually used this in a storyline. But I, be, I believe this before they even did that. We are that you just said it. We are too much of a dirt, a dirt ball of a backwards planet that all these high intelligence alien civilizations don't want to mess with us because they're like, we don't want to go there because. They're going to kill. They're going to try to kill us. They may not be able to, but, but they're going to try to kill us. These people and, kill each other over a ten dollar toaster at Target. Yeah, like maybe not want to land and make contact. Exactly. I mean, we'll, we'll stay up here and watch them. I mean, I could. Right. I, my wife, my wife sees them all the time in, in my freaking back in front yard. But I mean, this area is a very high UFO population area. But I mean, the, people see them all every day, and yeah. they're what they're watching. They're watching. They've and been it, watching, and it's, and it's getting more frequent, Jeremy. So. I'm yeah. telling people, you know, I think this is good that what I'm doing, what my investigation is coming out. I'm not putting the focus on me. I'm just, let me say this because let them get acclimated because I feel that there's going to be a landing or a, a really, really good high res close up of, of, a, of a craft with somebody's iPhone that is going to be so undeniable that the government's going to cave, you know, so. Um, and I am taking my investigation to Congressman Andre Carson in Indianapolis next week, um, who's on the Intelligence Committee. So, folks, this is not a joke. Um, and I'm not making this up. I, I'm taking my investigation to the uh, now that the Whistleblower Act has been enacted and signed into law. Um, and I'm going to take my investigation to, to, to Congressman Andre Carson and, and see where it goes from there. And just, you know, um, as Dr. Stephen Greer said, there are people that are in charge of some of these agencies that don't even realize that this is going on underneath them because they just have not been briefed on it, even though they're out of the agency. And I want to say lastly something that, you know, I think there's something wrong when a duly elected president of the United States can't go to any facility that is built by the government and knock on the door and look around when he can't do that or she can't do that. Something is fundamentally wrong with our country. And right now, the president is allowed to go to some of these facilities, and I think that's ridiculous, and and I think that should change. As Josh said, exactly, they're puppets. Our 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 presidents are just puppets. I mean, but and I mean, well, 
especially um, the one we have now, who I would I really don't want him going into facilities and looking around because he would get lost. But that's just the way it goes. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, Charles is right. If if they want if if the aliens want us dead, we'd already be dead. Right. You know, can I also say something? I hope my, yeah, on that point. Um, And I want, I want your listeners to listen to me. Look, you got to let the government off the hook a little bit to crack the door, to encourage them to come forward. I am, I'm begging your listeners, anybody that's hearing my voice, the re one of the main reasons for the secrecy is the technology that we have been given is the high ground. In the Civil War days, it was a high hill or mountain. Now it's technology. I am not condoting the secrecy. I am not pandering or giving, letting the government off the hook. But I do understand why the need they feel for secrecy because this technology is the high ground. And we really haven't had any kind of war on our soil for 50, 60 years. We are so dominant militarily wise. Is it possible that some of this technology has been used that we've garnered possibly? So again, we have to just, you know, pinch our, hold our tongues, you know, just let, let just ease off on the government to encourage them to say, okay, here's the reason why we're not telling you. They're taking some of you. They're taking some of your semen or ovaries. We can't stop it. And we need the technology because it makes us safe. And that's our high ground. And we're sorry, Mia Copa. We didn't know how to tell you. But the cat's out of the bag with the Tic Tac and this John Stewart with the with the alien and this other person with the high-res iPhone. You know, it, you're right. We know they're here. We've got to keep some of this information to ourselves. They're real. We feel that they, they're not any harm and, you know, what's on Wheel of Fortune tonight. I, I can't, it can't make it any more simple. And I think that's really when it comes down to a simple explanation. It's the high ground. It's the, it's the high tech high ground that they're unwilling to, uh, to let anyone have. And I kind of understand it. I don't like it, but I understand it. I mean, I agree. I mean, they, if Americans would stop fighting each other over the stupidest little things, then maybe the government would say, all right, Americans are more mature now. Maybe they could take this truth. Amen. I, I am so glad you said, right. It's, it's, can you imagine being a four-star general? You want to tell the American people about aliens and the alien presence and you watch TV and somebody's whacking somebody over the head at target for a $9 toaster. Does that make you feel confident as a general to try to, 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 to that the, the, the American public is going to going to absorb this? I mean, come on, let's look in the mirror. We're, we're, we're sometimes our own, our own worst enemy at times, meaning the society at all, which I love America. I love American people. We are, we're hardworking. We, we help our neighbors. We help at school. We do things that we don't have to do out of the kindness of our heart. But at times we are sometimes our own worst enemy. And I, and I, 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 understand to some degree why they're reluctant to come out with this. And and maybe guys like me are the slow disclosure, the soft disclosure. You know, it comes out and dribbles and dribbles to finally one day you look around and the whole tray's full of ice cream. Oh, okay, it's ice cream. But you didn't notice it because it was brought in at a teaspoon at a time. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but I really think that that is why I have not received so any blowback for this yet and why somebody who was a current military insider with one of the alphabet 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 agencies gave me this whole report on my birthday to say let this guy leak this out and maybe we can leak this out and we could show this and we can have a pathologist say that yes i worked on a piece of alien tissue and we could slow walk this thing down the boulevard if that makes sense i don't know it does it does make sense and I want to thank you for coming on. This has been an incredible episode, and I can't wait for people to hear it. It will be releasing. It will be releasing in February, most likely, because I have a lineup of shows already set to go. But I will be sharing this video out tonight like crazy so people can watch it, this video. And I will say that if you want to come back on next year or before your documentary comes out, be, be great. hit me up. Hit me up. I will gladly get you on. Um, 
You said, do you, does your documentary have a name yet, or are you still working on that? Well, one of the working titles is Hunting Victor, Bird Dog, Victor, hunt, you know, finding this guy, and it kind of, but, you know, um, uh, we're still working on the title. I, 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 when I write the book, and I can't because it's this, journey hasn't been finished because part of the journey is Hollywood and now dealing with the government. Um, but the book is entitled the bird dog, which I thought was aptly named. So, which will be, you know, the bird dog, uh, the, the hunt to find the most famous alien whistleblower Victor. So. Well, I, I can't wait to actually read the book and to see the documentary. Right. I'm dying. I would love to see it, Thank but you. thanks for right. having me. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure. And okay. for all for, for all my listeners, you know you can find me on Facebook as Paranormal the New Normal slash Maniacal Musing Maniacal Music Musings Podcast for the S Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter and the gram as that Juggalo Bastard. You can find me on TikTok as Juggalo Bastard Podcast. And you can find me on YouTube as Paranormal the New Normal, where I will be streaming in the new future. Plus, Paranormal the New Normal is now part of Parapost and Antisocial Network. So we stream, I, we stream at both networks as well. Thank you again, John, for coming on. Thank you. To go, for, to go from a great wrestling talk to a great alien talk. That just makes one hell of a good episode. Who would have figured? <laughs> uh, but thank you. And to all my listeners and watchers, thank you for tuning in. And I will see you next time.